Welcome to episode two of The Funnyverse. Well, if you're a fan of rhyming best man speeches, you're in luck, as I have another one for you. This one was for my brother Tom at his wedding to his Danish fiancée some years ago. I'd been at the British Library seeking inspiration and I was frankly getting desperate, trawling back through the centuries, all the way as far as the Middle Ages, where I happened upon a slim volume that was uncredited. Well, when I read it, I realised that I wouldn't even have to write a speech, as this was Tom's life in parallel. My brother was and still is a classic car dealer, and the title of the poem was The Tale of the Chariot Seller of Parsons Green. One good King Harold ruled in ancient days, a king that every Briton loves to praise. The Vikings ran amuck in our fine land, so oft their boots landed on English sand. Amongst all this strife there lived a couple young, Peter and Pam of Cambridge. Their bond was strong, so much so they hastily begat a son. Pam said, In my oven is a sizable bun. Such delight and respite was there upon his birth. Peter cried, Hackneth, a giant will walk upon earth. Thomas of the clan Hardiment, he is to be named, for both body and mind will he be famed. So possessed were they with their mountainous child, that when another was born, they scarcely smiled. Now, to heck this reaction, I know is distressing, but remember, in wartime, a huge child is a blessing. And his brother, Benbo, seemed spindly and useless, good for Thomas to kick till his mouth was toothless. Eke one day a half-moon shear at Ben was swung. Young Thomas knew well he could do no wrong. It cleft flesh from the head of his defenceless brother. What a beating ensued, first father, then mother. But conflict was rare. Most times the boys were kind, pulling bits from frogs until legless and blind. When playing God with animals, he mucked him bored. Thomas loved to hear tales of the brave Viking horde. His grandpa was a Viking, of which Peter was proud. Grandma kept it a secret, which was never spoke loud. They prayed the Norsemen would in war conquer Britain, but that is not the way our history was written. At the Battle of Stamford Bridge, Harold was victorious, and Thomas knew then that to be a warrior was not glorious. Tom said, For the love of Christ that for us died, I will practice no more the art homicide. I have feelings that I can no longer suppress, that one day I will have my own Viking princess. Shammed by his son's weakness and shyness from battle, Peter packed up Tom's trunk, filled it with his chattels, banished to boarding school. Yet he stayed in good cheer. The lure of his quest got him through all the fear.
He lay down on his straw bed, leaking roof up above. He dreamt of skills needed to attract Nordic love. And so befell it that he joined the school choir. Surely Norse maidens sweet songs would desire. I would swear it be true, but this tale is all tangled. He made noise like a chicken whose necker was strangled. But heck, when Piers' crew laughed and they mocked, how Tom's huge fists their faces he knocked. Despairing for love, he tried thespian leanings. Giant Tom, only twelve, did give Prospero new meanings. But in Windlesham's hall, only parents were there. His theatrical struts ended up as thin air. He railed at the heavens, cursed at God in his rage, and used all his strength to smash props up backstage. This quest was not meant to be brutal and bloody, so he set focus on books and classical study. Homer, Euripides, Plato and Aeschylus, Virgil, Ovid, Horace and Lucretius. Surely his learning of poets of old would seduce the affections which still lay so cold. Rewards did come from his search for old knowledge. He won a scholarship to Marlborough College. In gold at his prep school was this feat etched in print. Full welcome was this news, as his father was skint. The school it was built for the sons of clergy. Surely here they would appreciate Greek dramaturgy. But no, all was ribody and teenage drunks, smoking in fields and fighting on bunks. Riotous freedom, disdain for authority, where scholarly aptitude impressed a minority. A corrupting atmosphere set his mind free. Thomas steered all he could to become celebrity. Of the Mulburian magazine he was in charge, and most of the pages his ego enlarged. Tom here, Tom there, Tom's face everywhere. But from the school's maidens? Not so much as a stare. And dedication to sport had limited success. Hockey, cricket and tennis need dexterous finesse. But a stout prop forward he became on the rugby field. I forget how many poor midgets his stampings had killed. To the dark art of science he made steps exploratory. He once made explosives in the chemistry laboratory. They blew out the windows and burned Ali's hair, and the bomb squad was called. What a sorry affair. Still the maidens ignored him, a social carbuncle, so he started a minstrel band called Men from Uncle. Tom's fresh, broken voice blasted out Echo Beach, but amongst the crowd he could hear no Viking screech. Bacchanalian urges then took his preference. Tom dumped his dull books and gave them scant reference. To Cambridge his teachers had hoped he'd ingress. Such untapped potential his brain did possess. Quoth Tom, I'm too posh to get into kings. They give places to coal miners and never offsprings. Mark my words, far too much work would it require. And besides... 
Scandinavian maidens are all I desire. He chose Copenhagen, Stockholm, and Roskilde, but the clerks that read his approach were not thrilled. You speak French, Latin, Russian, and useless old Greek. They are pointless addendums unless Viking you speak. But in the land of King Harald such language was banned, so at business school in London he tried his large hand, and there fine skills of commerce he was accruing when he was not in the 151 tavern on the floor, canoeing. It was there in the king's rood that destiny called. He saw chariots and fine horses that had maidens enthralled. All the cool bachelors of the time would parade, up and down Chelsea with fine steeds all arrayed. So then he determined to build a new trade, the stable on the green, an equine arcade and from it sold steeds of majesty and wonder, so the felons flocked in with money to launder. When at play, he'd sop mead in his pub, the white horse, with chums talking tactics to pull and maiden's nose. He would cruise the king's road, drawn by two of his steeds. First coltish Ferrari and lithe Lamborghini would lead, to the food hall at Harrods, leering maidens and root, then clopping home lonely, meat and cheese in the boot. A one sad weekend while he mad some game pies, an idea did struck him between tear-strewn eyes. He could see that his body was not getting younger. Desperate, he granted he could not wait much longer. He placed an advert in the Fulham Gazette. The classified section would lure her to his net. Big double room for rent in posh Fulham dwelling. Come view it in person, heed not my telling. Suit lover of good eating, from herrings to venison. Furniture Anne Jacobson, cutlery Jorg Jenison. Such craft, so devious, such pleasurely conning, sooth Viking maidens would surely come running. Two weeks passed, and Tom was in a deep slump, each applicant British, ugly and plump. Himself he consoled by cooking roast nest of three birds, and then while pulling out giblets the doorbell he heard, he answered it briskly, cross at having to stop, but stood there struck dumb. The giblets he dropped. There was his princess, graceful and majestic. What she thought of Cook Tom, a bloody vision domestic, I cannot say. But he was as if hit by lightning, and his silent ogling must have seemed kind of frightening. But Camilla was of good stock, of the Thornburg Vikings, eke with the Slavic Dronovs, an amalgam most striking. She took the grim sight in her stride and said directly, This is the wrong horse. I have rung incorrectly. The rest is history, suffice to say that she stayed. Tom worked his charm from the off and it paid. He impressed her with every recipe her heart could desire. He cooked in a frenzy. This could not backfire. This wooing of his, the length of time, was astounding. Countless meals, trips abroad, 
then victory resounding. Eleven years it took of desperate pleading, and finally Camilla agreed to have a fine wedding. And so it befell that the families were united. Such joy and celebration, everyone was delighted. Fine wine was drunk, stomachs full of each delicacy. Such a fitting way for Tom to end forty-one years of celibacy. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. As soon as the idea of casting Tom as a frustrated cook, which he is, and then putting him in the Middle Ages, where he kind of belongs, where coincidentally the Scandinavian ancestors of his wife-to-be were constantly invading, it kind of weirdly wrote itself. For the next episode, I promise that you'll have what will be the first of a much more topical approach to comic verse, and it'll be shorter and sharper to boot. Until then, enjoy your return into the generally non-rhyming life. Thank you.